It's time for Drummer Nation. Tina Raymond is a drummer based in Los Angeles. She attended the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, California Institute of the Arts, and has studied jazz drum set with Joe LaBarbera, Jeff Hamilton, and the late John Von Olin. Raymond is an assistant professor of music at Los Angeles City College in Hollywood, where she teaches jazz and percussion as she continues to perform, adjudicate, and present workshops worldwide. Hi, this is Stanton Moore. I've been playing and teaching drums for over 30 years. My new site, Stanton Moore Drum Academy, is the perfect online drum learning platform for any level drummer to learn how to play the drums the same way I did. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you as subscribers on the site, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. These Regal Tip Session sticks feel great. They kind of put me in the mindset of a thinner and lighter 5A. Go to regaltip.com, order a pair, or go to your nearest music store. Pick up a pair and let us know exactly how you feel about the stick. Our latest innovation has opened the door for all drummers to have the same access as top musicians in the world. Custom cymbals. Now available to everyone. Your next sound just got more interesting. Sabian Custom Shop. Memphis Drum Shop is the world's premier provider of percussion instruments. With six showrooms of gear, MyCymbal.com, the Memphis Gong Chamber, and a first-rate repair department, turn to Memphis Drum Shop for all your percussion needs. <laughs> Tina Raymond, welcome to the show, and thank you for being my guest. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, I can't complain. I can't complain. I'm not a great voice, so I apologize for that. No problem. Okay. Uh, you know, I've met you on several occasions, mostly through Jeff Hamilton, but mm -hmm. I don't know much about your background. I don't usually do a lot of background, but let's let's do some on you. Where are you from? Sure. I'm from Metro Detroit, Michigan. Um, I grew up playing piano and taking ballet lessons, and then um, the public school music system is really strong, or was really strong in Detroit, in Metro Detroit at the time. So we picked our instruments when we were in fifth grade, and my sister told me to play the drums. So I did, and I loved it, um, and just really took to it. I think the coordination is similar to dance, where um, the pathways are very similar. So I, I took an act to it pretty quickly and so just loved you it. So were you a dancer as a little girl? I was. I was a little ballerina. Okay, that, that yeah. makes a correlation there. Because that was my first question, is why drums? Um, it's a good answer related to how does it relate to dance? I think the brain pathways are similar um, that you're telling your body to move different limbs at different times in coordinated rhythm. Um, I mean that's drumming and that's dancing so Brilliant that's my answer. theory. It's right. not it's not proven but that's my theory. Well there are a lot of dancers or drummers who were dancers. Right like Steve Gadden's a tap dancer and who else? Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich that's right. <laughs> um, I don't know, a lot of them probably. Sammy Davis yeah. wasn't the greatest drummer in the world, but he was a damn good dancer. dancer. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so this was as a young girl. You started taking mm -hmm. lessons? I did. I started taking lessons on rudimental snare drum from a guy who was in the community band in the town named Tom Mahowski. And I loved and just ate up the rudimental drum solos. 
um, and then didn't play a drum set for another couple of years. Went to summer camps and did concert bands. Um, then I was about 13, started taking drum set lessons with him um, and just decided very quickly that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Um, now, let me ask you, that's what you wanted to do, meaning drum set or drum yes. and percussion? Uh, both, both. And I was pretty stubborn about doing both. Even through my undergrad, I decided to double major in classical percussion and drum set. Um, and then kind of let the classical stuff fall away through my master's program a little bit. But um, I still, once in a while, will have a timpani gig that comes up once in a year. So I'm still mm -hmm. doing a little bit of that. So. Do you think, in spite of the way when we were young, uh, I know I'm older than you, but when, when we were all young, mm -hmm. and it was that whole premise of the complete percussionist and yeah. learning to play all those instruments. Is that still valid? Or do you find as a percussion and as a professional, you mm -hmm. have to make some choices? Um, I think, I think it's really helpful. I think it's really important. And I think especially as a teacher, um, it's important for my students to learn classical and rudimental snare drum. Um, so I'm pretty, I'm a pretty big stickler for that and no pun intended, um, in my, in my private lessons with students. Um, I think it's all really beneficial, but I think you're right as a professional, you do have to kind of pick and choose. Um, there's just stigma with um, being a classical percussionist and being a drum set player sometimes that you're, you're not as serious a, a drum set player as someone who just does drum set um, and vice versa. So you have to kind of pick and choose. Although in a city like Los Angeles, there are more people that do a lot of different things than I think some other places. And traditionally, Shelley Mann, you know, he was a great classical percussionist. A lot of those musicians and drummers um, studied classical percussion and then ended up playing drum set on all the records we love. So That's true. You mentioned in an interview that you were a little disenchanted coming out of undergraduate school. I was. Um, I did that interview probably five years ago, right? And, and what I'm learning as I get older is that my perspective on the past changes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my time in Cincinnati was difficult. And I think... Um, there were a lot of things about being in a program that was very traditional, um, big band combos, bebop, um, that had a competitive quality to it, which when you're in the real world of being professional, that's, that's not a thing. There's enough work for everybody, you know, um, it's more of a camaraderie, which was, um, an environment that CalArts did a, I think a better job of, of mirroring than some of the more traditional schools, because you're all competing with the other drummers for the same one big band chair. Um, that was my so experience, too. I went to University of North Texas in the 70s. Mm -hmm. It was very competitive and not yeah. very uplifting and nurturing. Totally. And, and then I found when I got to L.A. and I studied with Hamilton and Garibaldi and all these great professionals, that they were very uplifting yes. and, and very supportive. And the community of drummers, of course, we have PASIC, which is a love-in for drummers, Mm -hmm. All stripes, yeah, and and also getting rolling in a city, you got started by getting gigs from other drummers, I presume, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's who you call when you move to a town, and we can only exactly. be in one place on a Saturday night, right? So, and it's so funny too that like drummers are always seen in packs. You know, there's always five <laughs> or six of us hanging out, and then bass players are all working so much they never meet each other, right? <laughs> it's so funny. That's true. A friend of mine, Don Bennett, had a quote. He said, "You put." Two or more drummers in a room, and before long, fun breaks out. Yeah, totally. So it really is a loving, fun, hang kind of thing amongst drummers. I, For I think sure. most drummers agree with that.
Introducing the Star Festival snare drum from Gary Astrich, a handcrafted and precision replica of the rarest and most iconic of drums. Ringo Starr's 1963 Ludwig Jazz Festival. Each instrument is authorized and hand-signed by Ringo Starr and will benefit his charity, the Lotus Foundation. Hello everyone, my name is David Victor. I'm general manager with the Craviato Drum Company. We wanted to offer a one-ply, solid shell product but we wanted it to stay true to our mission of offering handmade drums of uncompromised quality built here in the USA. So take a listen to our Center Stage Series drum set. Okay, so coming up, who were your early influences? And I want to focus more on the drum set, since that's kind of what the show's all about. Sure. Um, so I started playing big band um, with the Farmington Community Band when I was 13 and then went to summer camp at Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp um, and was working with this director named Jim Alcott and he recommended that I only listen to Mel Lewis. That was his recommendation. So he <laughs> had me story. listening to, it was a great suggestion. He had me listening to Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, um, Rob McConnell, Boss Brass, um, and Terry Gibbs Dream Band all through high school. And there was one track of Terry Gibbs Dream Band, The Fuzz, um, that I'm pretty sure is the reason I'm continuing to play drums. Really? Uh, yeah, that track is so great. It's so energetic, and there's really low berry and really high trumpet, and it's full of energy, and it's Mel on drums. Um, I can't picture so, it. I can't pull it up in my mind Rolodex right now, but I'll go check it out. Yeah, it's really fun. Well, a Mel um, devotee will naturally lead you to Von Olin, and I know he's exactly. a teacher. Exactly. Now, and I, so that's... Go ahead. I knew John uh, a little bit, certainly not mm -hmm. as well as you, and I, you got I loved his playing, and I never heard him on the Kenton band, but all the recordings, of course. And tell me what he was about as a teacher. Um, he was about gravity and intuition, um, and doing as little effort uh, that was necessary to create a big sound, um, and knowing your responsibility in the band, um, particularly in big band, of knowing what sounds you make on the drums make the band react the way you want them to. Um, so some of the best lessons I had with him were when he was just sitting next to me in the big band rehearsal being like, try this, do this. When the trombones play, only use the bass drum to kick the trombones. I don't care if it's long or short. Um, that kind of stuff was really, really helpful. Um, and also just getting in the right headspace of listening. Um, he talked a lot about just deep listening and interaction. Um, those were all really special um, lessons I had with Von Olin. How about your sound itself? I think sometimes drummers forget about just how does it sound. I mean, I was at Peter yeah. Eskin's studio once, and I heard him play some great stuff. We were hanging out. Mm -hmm. But I told him a thing I took home, man. He had a floor tom. Just one note on a floor tom that resonated in my soul. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? You know yeah. exactly what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, and John was about that a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. How did he, trans how did he transmit that to you? Um, John's, I mean, in terms of technicalities, John's tuning was always really low in comparison to a lot of bebop players. And right up until the very end, he had calfskin on the, on the front side of his bass drum. Um, it was a very old school kind of approach to the sound of the drums. And... I think the story he tells is that when he was a little kid, he would sit on a sofa and mimic playing the drums, and he was trying to recreate the sound of hitting the sofa with like a whop. Um, so that was the sound he was getting out of his drums. Um, 
for me, I'm I'm tuning my drums a bit higher these days, just because the rebound is nicer and you get more um, clarity and articulation. Um, and this is where I think I've kind of married John's perspective of looseness and of gravity, but also with the classical elements of drawing the sound out of the drums, like in timpani, um, and having a good touch on the snare drum with classical snare drum techniques. I think it's kind of all swirling for me. And how do you relate that to cymbals? Oh, man. Good question. Um, I'm definitely of the Jeff Hamilton, John Von Olin lineage with the cymbals. Big, washy, um, thin. Um, I'm playing all of Jeff's crescents, um, and my ride has two rivets in it. Um, you know, it's so funny because I think, I think a lot of the sounds I use are very much so Jeff and Von Olin, the fiber skin heads, I use Jeff sticks and brushes, the cymbals. Um, but the music I'm playing is so different that it's not necessarily super apparent that those are my influences and my heroes. I think it's interesting. We'll get to that. Let's talk about the move to L.A. Sure. Did you go there specifically to go to CalArts? I did. Um, I was studying with Jeff, and I asked Jeff, I still want to study with you, but I need to be in school. Um, my parents won't let me just move. So where can I go to school and still study with you since you don't teach anywhere? Um, he said, the only person you can study with and still study with me is Joe LaBarbera. So that was that, was <laughs> I, that decision. It was I can very hear him easy. saying that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that puts you in the hands of Joe, another one of yeah. my favorite drummers and, yeah. and uh, one of the nicest guys on the planet. Yes. Talk about positive. No kidding. Yeah. So you're, at, you're studying with Joe and you're at Cal Arts. Now we have to mm -hmm. take a moment to talk about Cal Arts because that's sure. unlike any other place I know of in terms of an educational yes. institution. Definitely. Tell us about what made CalArts different. Everything. <laughs> um, especially coming from such a traditional um, structured school, it was actually a really good transition for me to have all that structure and learn the fundamentals and the basics. Um, to then go to a place where you sat on the floor in class and people brought their dogs to class and you talked about your feelings and um, there were no grades. It was high pass, pass, low pass, incomplete. Like you couldn't fail, you just didn't complete the course. Um, it was just such a beautiful community and nurturing environment. And um, that is all because of teachers like David Roystein, who runs that department, and Charlie Hayden when he was there. Um, I mean, his class was called The Spirituality of Improvisation. I mean, you can't get really? much more, yeah, sweet and nurturing than that, you know? Like, it wasn't about the notes, it was about playing the mountains that we were looking at out the window and, and listening to each other and um, what each other had to say as human beings, not just the notes on the instruments. It was really special that way. I didn't realize all that. What a unique yeah. perspective. Yeah, it was very special. And, and then on top of that, you have all the world music that happens there, the, um, especially for percussion. It's really a mecca. You had the African... Uh, Ghanaian A-way drumming with an African chief who had taught there for 40 years, Alfred Lagzepo, who is one of my heroes. And he's one of the reasons um, I kind of got out of that funk from my undergrad. Uh, he reminded me that I was good and, and quick and smart at learning drums and rhythm and um, kind of gave me some fire again. It was nice. Um, and But there's also gamelan, um, Javanese and Balinese, and North Indian and South Indian um, Tala classes and tabla and Latin percussion classes. There's so much opportunity there for drummers to explore drumming from so many different cultures. It's really incredible. 
Mm -hmm. So while you were there, you began to freelance in the Los Angeles scene, I can only presume? That's true. Yep. And, and how did that get started? Um, so rewind to 2007. I was in a group called the Sisters in Jazz um, combo through the, uh, it wasn't Jen, it was, what was the old one? Um, IAJE. IAJE, thank you. Um, and through that, we did a performance in D.C. where uh, Ann Patterson's Maiden Voyage was also performing. Um, and I met her through that. And so my first gig in Los Angeles was like two months after I moved here with Ann doing an all-star concert. Um, so she was really, really helpful in kind of getting me started and networking. And on that gig was Kristen Korb and Karen Hammock and... Um, Kathleen Craigs, you know, so some some really special musicians that were here at that time. Well, I know Kristen, and I, I, I had worked with some of these people you're mentioning, but I was there in the 80s. And, yeah. Um, so that got you working as a jazz player. Is that, do you consider yourself, right. are you tie, happy with that, that moniker? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have any problem personally with the word jazz. Um, I think that's fair, I think. But I think my term of, or my definition of jazz is a bit broader than some people's. I think improvised music um, that reflects contemporary culture is kind of the, the basis and the essence of jazz for me. Well, let's um, jump into that. Because sure. I, I see, you know, I was there in the 80s. And I look at, mm -hmm. when I come out to L.A. and I look online and I hang and I talk to my drummer friends, there's a real cool scene and vibe going on in L.A. now, don't you think? I agree, 100%. Yeah. I didn't notice. I mean, it's very hip and it's very different than it used to be. Most mm -hmm. people think of Los Angeles as uh, the commercial center, you know, TV, film, um, record albums, if there are such right. a thing anymore. You know, not records, right. but albums. Um, yeah. And I hear you playing in a lot of varied contexts from kind of straight ahead to very mm -hmm. free yep. and eighth notey stuff that's mm -hmm. jazz. I don't remember hearing a lot of free music when I was out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a strong tradition of it. Ornette was here for a long time, and mm -hmm. Mingus was here for a long time, and Charlie Hayden. Charlie Hayden, of course. Of course. So, um, and a lot of those, you know, free records. I mean, Shelly Mann's on it. So it's, it's. Um, I think That's it's true. part of the history, um, but I'm sure it kind of comes in and out of focus. Um, yeah, I meant more like the young guns coming up didn't seem to be focused on Yeah, them. well, I don't know. As they are um, now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, was, I wasn't here in the 80s, uh, so I'm not sure. Um, but I know CalArts has been here, and it's been right. pumping out musicians, and, and they've always kind of had a little bit of a left lean and yeah. experimenting. Um, certainly now with um, teachers like Vinnie Golia and Wadada Leah Smith, um, and even Charlie, um, they influenced a lot of CalArts musicians that have now kind of worked into the Los Angeles scene that are doing really interesting free projects like Dan Rosenboom and his Burning Ghosts projects, and um, Dave Tranquina is doing some stuff that I'm assuming he's going to have some free elements, and Lauren Baba. There's a lot of interesting people that are, are actually writing very structured music that have free elements in it. Right. Um, and it's at the clubs, too. That's I guess that's absolutely. another thing. We used to hear it in Dante's and Carmelo's and all right. those clubs that are gone now. Um, Right. Well, we're so lucky to have clubs like, you know, the Blue Whale and Sam First that are open to having a, a wide range of um, just music and genres in their clubs. You mm -hmm. know, I think they're June and Lee, and I don't know the owner over at Sam First, but um, I know Dave Robert is involved in the booking. I think that they're open-minded about um, 
what the audience is willing to listen to. So, so at, at your age, you don't feel any pressure to have to play like double bass, longboard, no way, man. Notes, gospel chops, all that stuff. No way, no. Um, and it's so funny too because a long time I felt pressure to learn, it, it, especially in school, like funk. And I was yeah. always very resistant, like I don't want to play that. I want to play jazz and swing. And um, just now I'm kind of starting to open those books about the the James Brown drummers because my students want to. Um, mm. And now that I don't have to do it, it's much more exciting for me to kind of be like, oh wow, Clyde Stubblefield's amazing. Um, um, I just feel less pressure all the way around, for great, sure. Great, great. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a couple of the 800-pound gorillas in the room with okay. educators. I, I sure. Know you, and you can imagine what I'm going to ask you, but the first one I'm going to ask you is about the music scene itself. There's mm -hmm. a common perception that it's not what it was, that recorded music is in a bad way, that mm -hmm. uh, instrument sales, the whole thing is kind of down. And, yeah. Uh, and... Um, you have kids who are dedicating their lives to it coming up through college. I know you teach at college and high schools. We'll talk about that. Sure. What do you tell them? Um, if you can see yourself doing anything else, you should probably do that. I say that a lot. I had a teacher, Dan Maslanka in Detroit, who said that to me. And at the time, I was kind of like, whoa, what do you mean? Um, but I think it's true. You have, this is a, an industry of passion and of love. And if you want to make money, you should probably do something else. Um, but that if this is exactly what you want to do, that there is space for you in the industry to create art, and there's um, sort of a release of pressure in having to abide to record labels' description of what they think you should be doing because they don't care because they're not going to sign you until you've already made your record and have already paid for it. Um, at least that's been my experience. So, um, yeah, I don't I mean I don't. I think the perspective that it was better previously is true, but is also just kind of the nature of how people talk about yesteryear in general. I think people always think that what they had before was better. Um, and I'm sure in another 20 years, we'll be saying the same thing about now, you know, that we were in such a luxury of um, the Wild West of how to stream music and how to distribute music, and mm -hmm. who knows? It's like New York is never what it used to be. Right, <laughs> you know, exactly. Everybody says that. Yeah. Oh, it'll be a nice town if they ever finish it. Right? Which they never will. Of course not. Of course not. Okay, the other 800-pound gorilla in the room is that you're in a very male-dominated industry. Mm -hmm. Now, I, as a musician, as a side band most of my life, sometimes a leader, I never noticed any, I didn't care if it was a man or a woman on the stage or black or white or Christian or Muslim or anything like that. But yeah. the powers that be behind the scene, do you find mm -hmm. any resistance there or has that been, I hope, um, I hope you're going to say no, that it's been cool. In Los Angeles, it's been cool, for the most part. Um, I did have one band leader at some point in Los Angeles say to me, I'm not going to use you because you're not a normal drummer and I don't know what to, what to expect from you. And I, I read into that that he meant that I was not a man. But I don't know that that's what he meant. It could have just meant that I'm, I was young at the time. I don't know. Um, Who knows? It could have been yeah. you're a creative drummer and that's not what he was looking Who for. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And unfortunately, when... Um, when you experience microaggressions like that time after time after time after time, anyone who's been marginalized will tell you this. Um, you read into it and you project what you think they're saying because you've heard so many of these kind of small comments throughout your life. Right. Um, in Cincinnati, it was a little bit more difficult professionally. Um, there was quite a bit 
more just conservative um, perspectives that, um, I mean, that's the nature of the Midwest, right? Oh, it's, sure, yeah. Um, and you're not hearing that from your, you're not hearing that from your peers in LA, are you? The, 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 no, the musicians I mean, on the bandstand. No, LA has been so. really, really wonderful that way. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of just, it's it's not an issue. It's a non-issue. Um, well, that's what I really wanted to hear. That's great. Yeah. Let me ask you this: I used to teach a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I'd had like forty students in a week, mm -hmm. and maybe a third to forty percent of them were girls. And I don't mm -hmm. use girls pejoratively. I mean, they were children. They were young girls. Right. <laughs> they were girls. Right. Um, but I don't see them. It seems like we're losing them somewhere, right? I mean, I saw, you see yeah. plenty of girls playing drums. I don't sure. see a lot of women playing drums. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more than there used to be. Mm -hmm. um, so it's moving in the right direction. But I've adjudicated many, many jazz festivals in the past couple of years. And you're right, there's there's a total drop-off even from middle school to high school and then again from high school to college. Um, and you see it with the directors too. The middle school bands come in and they have more female directors than the high school bands where maybe you get one or two to the college bands where there are none. Um, and my perspective on it is that it has to kind of come from the example um, and that we're losing these young women because when they get into high school, they have no women teachers in the music department. Um, and so they have no one to talk to you about what they're going through. And high school and college are such important developmental years for young women. They need women to talk to. Um, so I think, I think if we do a better job of having women in our programs teaching um, at the higher levels, that we'll also see women progressing um, as professionals. I hope so. Those are great points. Yeah. Also, does it concern you that if you, I was looking at pop music in the last few weeks I've been looking mm -hmm. at, most of it has no drums in it. Yeah, and, it's and a lot no of guitar. stuff. Yeah. And, and no guitar. And I'm talking to kids like the age you would be teaching, college kids and uh, mm -hmm. high school kids. And they kind of look at jazz and rock, many of them. I don't want to paint mm -hmm. everybody the same. Sure. As a latter 20th century performance art. Yeah. That's, that's no longer valid. Yeah. Do you, um, you read some of that from the young ones? A bit. Um, and I'm definitely trying to change their minds on that with my jazz appreciation course. Um, I think that that's probably a similar discussion to what was being said in the 80s, right? Like when Herbie Hancock did Rocket um, and when all those electronic samples were being used. Um, by pop musicians and jazz musicians. I think maybe that might just be where we are in the, the nature of um, the tide. Um, but I don't think instrumental music will ever go away. I don't ever think that humans trying to express their feelings through making sounds, um, either on a computer or on an instrument, is ever going to go away. Here, personally. here. Here, here. Yeah. Now, where do you teach? I know you're a teacher at... Um, yeah, I am full-time tenure track at uh, Los Angeles City College up for tenure in the fall. So, crush your fingers for me. in the fall? Yeah. Oh, good for you. It's crazy. Great. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's been a really wonderful experience um, learning how to cultivate a program and, and, you know, try to create a nurturing environment, um, something similar to CalArts. We don't have the same kinds of freedom just because we're, you know, federally funded. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's been a really wonderful experience. Students are great, and we're transferring them up to CalArts and down to Long Beach and over to Northridge. So it's, it's cool. It's great. And do you uh, teach younger ones as well? 
I try not to. I try not to. I used to. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. High school age, um, I do. I teach for the Herbie Hancock Institute's um, education outreach program with J.B. Dias and help direct their all-city big band um, through this year. Tell Um, me about the Herbie thing. I don't know anything about that. So the Herbie Hancock Institute is uh, formerly known as the Thelonious Monk Institute. I think they just changed the name. Um, and they have that master's program over at UCLA for a group of students and then also do lots of educational outreach uh, and try to supplement the LAUSD music programs. And so they'll send teachers out to a lot of the different high schools to do combos. And then they're also affiliated with Tony White's um, All-City Marching Band and taking students from that and doing a couple big bands. Um, and they just played at the Playboy Jazz Festival. They're doing really great stuff. Terrific. So, you really yeah. dialed in. That's, that's I'm amazing. trying. I'm trying to connect, you know, the LAUSD young musicians to the community college program, which is free for them, you know, um, that they could come to LACC and get two years of their undergrad out of the way for literally no cost. It's free now, um, LA Community College? Yeah. So City College, um, we are now the Herb Albert Music Center, which means that um, Herb Albert gave us an endowment that pays for all of our music majors' tuition. So it's completely free for... Two years, excuse me, for two years. Let me get that right. It's L.A. City College? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, now, you're also, you've sort of studied with some people f- floating back to where we started. John sure. Olin, mm-hmm. Jeff Hamilton. These people mm-hmm. are motion poets of sorts, right? Absolutely. And um, I read from one interview, I read about you, and you, you're very much involved in yoga. Yes. I taught yoga for many years. Um and the alignment principles, I still take classes. I'm taking classes almost every day now that it's summer, right? Yeah. Teacher life. But you said um, something that really turned me around, which is uh, actors are required to take yoga classes. They are. They are. I've never heard anybody put it that way to drummers. I mean, it seems like yeah. we all should, right? We really should, or some sort of movement technique class, um, because so much of playing an instrument is repetitive stress. Um, and so having a method of knowing how to sit and how to align your body um, and how to move efficiently and even just think, just to have the conscious thought of how you're moving, I think is really important. Because um, it's a lot of um, high impact, you know, stick on the symbol, shock into your wrist, into your elbow, into your arm. Um, knowing how to do that without creating injury is really important. I know Jeff used to come by me and... You know, yeah, pull my shoulders up. back. I got to yeah. where I actually had much better posture when I played yeah. than when I'm walking around because totally. I, I'm aware of that. I'm focused totally. on Totally. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, isn't there an element of sort of meditation involved in that? Absolutely. Um, the definition of meditation is extended focus. So when you're in a room, yeah, when you're in a room and you're focused on the exercises or you're focused on improvising and the whole world falls away and that's the only thing you're thinking about, that is a meditation. Um, That's interesting. A friend of mine, this is so unrelated to drums, years ago a friend of mine took me to a a pistol range, Mm. you know, where you have guys with, I mean, this isn't a gun control argument, but, you know, legitimate cats with a 22 league, you know, where you're trying to hit a circle 30 feet away with, um, in, a, in a competitive format, let's say. But what I realized is, is that it puts you into a meditative spot yeah. where you're totally focused, you're yep. relaxed, you're controlling your breathing, you're aware yep. of your posture, 
You're turning yep. out the world. So exactly. it, it fit in what you just said about any kind of focus. Say that again, please. Um, extended focus, extended concentration. Yeah. And that can happen in prayer, in yep. meditation, mm -hmm. in anything. In an exercise class, running. Um, any any activity you can use as a, a possibility to meditate, certainly. You hear golfers talk about that too. They lose themselves. Totally, totally. For four hours out in nature, walking around, hitting a little ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, what would be the main focus of your teaching if I came and studied with you? What would it be about? Um, about moving wherever you are at forward the next step. Um, I, I, I personally feel like my job as a community college teacher is to prepare my students for their transfer auditions. Um, and so I'm kind of cleaning up the technique and the holes and what they know already so that they can go and take those auditions and successfully transfer. Um, so we do a lot of rudimental snare drum and concert snare drum. We work a lot on hands. We, we do scales and arpeggios and modes. Mm -hmm. um, and then we do a lot of transcription work and coordination work on the drum set and trying to cover all the kind of basic styles that you should know. It's um, funny how many people don't realize there is pedagogy Yeah. for drum set. For sure, for sure. Um, and studying with people like Jola Barbara and Jeff um, were really helpful in, in helping me be a better teacher in the process of, you know, first you do this, and then when you're ready for that, you can go to this. And there's... There's some flexibility if, if I have a student that's super into Roy Haynes and they want to start learning Roy Haynes solos, we can kind of start there. I'm like, well, check out Billy Joe first and see these things, and then you can kind of see what comes next. Um, isn't there another element of teaching, especially when you're shaping musicians and individuals mm -hmm. who are entering mm -hmm. adulthood and all of that, mm -hmm. that's more about or is also focused on how to live life as a musician? Or like Absolutely. Or a way to say it. Absolutely. Guru or someone who shows them what this is all about and how yeah. to live that life. For sure. You feel that responsibility? I do. I do definitely feel like I am trying to live by example um, to show my students, you know, when I have a gig, this is, this is the time I show up and this is how I set up my drums and this is how I treat people in the industry and when I have a conflict with someone, this is how I react. Um, I definitely, but I, I don't know that I talk about that as much as maybe I should. I just try to do it by example. Um, lately, I've had a lot of students who've been coming out to my shows, which I think is really sweet. Um, and that they come together makes me even more excited because I feel like somehow we're, we're building that community that I was talking about. Um, and I think it's, it's so important that they see the, the professional environment for themselves so they can mm -hmm. see what it looks like and how to behave and, and how to build those lasting relationships that become the people you play with forever. Mm -hmm. so. Now, that, that's a great place to wrap it up, but I want to go back to another question I, okay. I, I have. Uh, you take a jazz sensibility about playing a song, which is, mm -hmm. uh, however you want to describe it, in the moment, uh, fresh, uh, non-pattern-oriented, let's say, and, mm -hmm. and apply that to, and I hear you doing it a lot, it's wonderful, to eighth note settings. Yeah. I think a lot of us, don't didn't study that bad jazz sure. was spang spang alang, yeah. And if it got into eighth notes, we fell into a, a backbeat, right? But uh, I hear you doing a wonderful job of this of taking that 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 mindset mm -hmm. and applying it in jazz in free, but also in the eighth note thing. Is there some way you 
what are you hanging on to do that? How, how do you? It, for that? me, it's conceptual. Um, I mean, again, for me, the definition of jazz is improvised music that is relevant. Um, and so this this sort of eighth note thing, it kind of speaks to my generation. It's what we want to hear. Um, and it doesn't mean that we can't also swing. It's just like that's that's what resonates. That's what makes us feel the aliveness um, that I think is what the essence of jazz is about. That's, that's um, exactly what I was getting. I'm sorry there's an over, overhang here where we can talk over each other. Absolutely. Sure. I apologize for that. No, that's but, okay. But that's what I was getting at was that freedom that that jazz jazz mm-hmm. for all that means mm-hmm. in settings we don't normally conceive of it that way, and 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 the generation that is certainly more tied into eighth note music than swing music doesn't mm-hmm. have to be divorced from a jazz mentality, right? Which I think is also funny. I mean, that's so. In teaching this jazz appreciation course, I've been able to kind of go back and and restudy it for myself. And I think one of the important uh, paradoxes of jazz is that as a jazz musician, there are two things you're struggling with. You want to honor the tradition and you want to destroy it. Um, and, And every previous generation is offended by the next generation's um, obliteration of what they created. But that that is 100 percent the history and the tradition of the music. So whenever I hear people upset that the younger generation isn't swinging, I have to kind of laugh because, like, you're saying the exact same thing that swing musicians said about bebop musicians, that bebop musicians said about free jazz musicians, that free jazz musicians said about fusion. Um, so we're doing the right thing then if we're offending people. <laughs> I agree. There's always been a tendency in the jazz community to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. Okay. Anything else you want to touch on? No, thank you for having me on your show. Um, I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, I'm delighted that you're here, and I want to hear you play next time. I'm, I mean, I, we're always hanging with somewhere with somebody. Totally. I haven't heard your gigs yet. I hear you on, on YouTube and online now. Yeah. Sure pre- I sure appreciate what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Are you in L.A. anytime soon? Are you coming out? Not to my knowledge, but maybe. Okay. okay. Usually I'm there for a name at least. Totally. Okay. Okay, Tina, thanks a lot. We'll catch up on the flip side. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'll see you later.